All right, you can have a seat. Welcome this morning. We are glad you're here today in both rooms and online. Thank you for being here. Just a big thanks to the worship team, the tech team. As these first few weeks, we are simulcasting in all rooms as we go through our new mission, vision, values, strategy, and outcomes. So we all start with that same message of where we are going. So thank you. Can we join? Just thank those teams, because that's a lot of work to get all that coordinated. Yeah. Woohoo. Awesome. I love it. So again, we're building on a rich 155-year history uh, as we move through this. And this morning, uh, we're going to play a little catch-up uh, for the week we missed a few weeks ago because of the lovely Iowa weather. Uh, so we'll have a little longer preaching time. Uh, I'm going to start us off with a little bit of recap, then we're going to kick over to the other room. Katie's going to go through our next outcome, Scarred Restorer, and then we'll kick back here. And uh, I will go through being a known friend. And with that, I just want to thank our auditorium family as I'm here today uh, for your flexibility as we've gone through uh, this season as well, just again, to make sure we all get that same message. So if I can have, uh, let's see, slide three. So as Kevin led us off, our new mission statement, again, just as a recap uh, for those joining us. Uh, our new mission statement is everyone, every day, helping one another experience life, giving freedom in Jesus. Again, this is not a worldly freedom. It is a, a freedom that begins with Jesus, and it's an all play. All of us are called, everyone, every day, in our homes, in our workplaces, to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. The mission statement is for, for all those that come here, for the visit us online, to know what they are to do go out and bring the good news of Jesus. Clayton, a couple weeks ago, if I can have the next slide, went through our three values. These should be, if you're coming here, these are what you should experience from the body of third. The first, progress over perfection. We know our good God always has more for us than we can achieve on our own. We're in a transformational process throughout our life. We're all broken. We're not perfect. None of us, including myself, so can we see each other that way? The second, next slide, refuge over rejection. We experience the astonishing grace of Jesus as we are seen, known, and loved. We need to be a place of community, of belonging, of seeing each other, loving each other first, yes, meeting people where they're at, but also speaking truth, biblical truth, and having people challenging them to turn from their sins and move toward God. And lastly, many over me. We partner with the Spirit to make disciples who multiply near and far. So are you becoming a disciple, disciple? And are you helping others become a disciple? Again, in your schools, your workplaces, or far. With some of our partners like The Well, Many Hands, Going to Mexico, whatever it might be for you. Last week, I started talking about our strategy. And if I could have that slide the strategy is those who attend Third Church should know where they should go. Bless. Bless up. Bless God through worship. Bless out toward others using your gifts, your talents, your offerings, your tithes to be a blessing to others. To train not only in classes and things of that nature as you become disciples, to train others, train yourself but be in the word of God and, and which pushes into recharge daily, reflecting with God and where he is leading you in your life. 
And then lastly, last week I started pushing, if I could have the next slide, into our outcomes. If you were with us last May, we did a survey to get a baseline uh, for the congregation. Again, this is, if you're coming here, these are the things we want all of us to become. Last week we started with Image Bearer. Today, like I said, Katie will go through Scarred Restore and I will come up and talk about Known Friend. And we are so excited with where we are going. As we mentioned, this has been over a year process and with our navigator, Clint from Oxano, our outside person, as we would break into small teams for two, three hours and come up with different things and we'd come back together, he'd never seen that with some of the other churches he'd done, that they were so close. The Holy Spirit has been at work with all of this. And we're thankful for the 150, 200 of you that have joined us in this, again, an all play. And we're so grateful to see where God is leading us in the future. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to the sanctuary and to Katie. Thank you, Darren. I feel like maybe we should do like the Brady Bunch or something like that with uh, all the different, different places that we're shooting from. Oh, the Brady Bunch, that ages me a little bit. I had a birthday this week, and I don't know if any of you do this on your birthdays, but uh, reflected back on, oh, when I was a kid, right? Any of you kids ever hear your parents say that? When I was a kid. And I think there are some things that um, have, have gotten worse that I grieve from, from my childhood. And there's some things that have definitely gotten better, that I'm grateful that I don't have that anymore. And one particular that I was thinking about was razors. Now, this isn't, the, this isn't the razors, you know, that the scooters that you ride on. Uh, this, is, this is what we shave with. And the razors that I had to learn from were those straight, non-flexible, single razor. Not these flexible three, four, five, right? And so to, to shave well, you had to have two things. You had to have a little dexterity or flexibility in your wrist and you have to have good eye-hand coordination, which I have neither of those two things. Hence, my legs often just had all kinds of cuts, looked like I walked through a battle zone. But there was this one particular time where I was going along, was not paying attention, and the razor had started to dig into my skin, and I didn't realize it, and I was pulling hard, and there was a chunk of flesh that came. And you know, if you've, if you've ever experienced that before, there's like that white that comes before, and then it gets to your brain like, oh, this is gonna hurt, this one's gonna hurt. And uh, yes, a chunk was out of, right on my shin bone. <laughs> now, several band-aids and a few weeks later, it healed. And still today, the scar remains. It's a lot smaller and white, but it's still there. And I still get that feeling when I tell the story or see that scar that I saw a lot of the expressions on your face, like the chills up the spinal cord, like, oh. Because that's what scars do. They do several things. On one side, they carry a memory, often a pain. It can also carry with it a sense of fear, reminders of what we want to avoid, do better next time. But at the same time, scars do provide closure. If a wound stays open, no healing takes place. Now, hold that thought as I pivot a little bit to what Darren talked about last week. Hopefully, as you hear us share these outcomes, you'll see how they connect with one another. If you were here, Remember, the third church had a beautiful moment together last week. 
And if you weren't able to see it, I encourage you to go back and watch it. But Darren asked us to take out our cell phones, and if we had a self-camera, to look in there and imagine God saying these words to us. If I could give you one thing, it would be to see yourself through my eyes, that you'd see how amazing you truly, truly are. That's what God thinks of us. Genesis 1 and 2, we are made in his image. We are image bearers. And we have an enemy that wants to shatter that image that is so core and foundational to who we are. For all of us in this room, in the auditorium, online, who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. According to Ephesians 1.13, we have been adopted into God's family, Romans 8.15. See, the enemy can't have our soul but he can try to take away our worth and dignity. He can try to take away chunks of our belonging and our purpose. And there are so many ways that he tries to wound us. He sets up systems in the world, manipulates thoughts, things like, hmm, you don't belong here. You don't fit in. You're not really good enough. You're not important. Oh, remember that thing you did? Ah, oh, that's so disgusting. No one can really love you. Fill in the blank with all the ways he tries to take chunks out of the way that you are an image bearer. And here's the thing about our enemy. He hopes that those wounds won't heal. He hopes that the scars won't cover it. He hopes that we stay wounded, that they're left open, no closure, no moving forward. But here's the good news, friends. God has a different plan. Can I get slide three? Scarred restores. Where am I battling for healing for myself and those that I love? As with all these outcomes that we share, there's going to be more to come on this. We're only able to scratch the surface. But why do we need to battle? We are in a war. Now this can get a little confusing because yes, the Bible is all about God's redeeming love. This is a love story. But the setting for this story is a war zone. What do we battle? I really appreciate how Dr. Carl Payne outlines three areas that we battle in his book Darren referenced this last week. We were able to go to a spiritual warfare conference, and he's also going to talk a little bit about it here in a little bit. But here's the snapshot. We battle the world, the flesh, and Satan himself. So these scriptures tied to battling the world, they're in reference to those systems that are organized to stand in opposition of God. There's those things that try to bring temptation to us to say yes to temporary things in exchange for God's good, eternal things. They're coming from us from the outside in. Make us have responses to darken our heart with sin. If you've worshiped with us for a while, you know that we talk quite a bit about this. What are those things? Be careful 
Little eyes, what you see. Be careful. Little ears, what you hear. Watch advertisements that are enticing you. Oh, you should have this. You really need this in order to be happy. Or things with body image. You should look this way if you really want to fit in. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 talks about the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and our selfish ambition. And John 15, 19 reminds us that we should look different than the world in the temptation of these things. It says, I have chosen you out of this world, out of the systems of the world. That is why the world hates you. There's a battle in this world of exchanging those temptations for eternal things. External battle. We all have the internal battle. Our sinful nature, another, another word for the flesh. I'm going to go ahead and read this here. Galatians. Galatians 5, 19 through 23. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live, in the, who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things... There is no law. Those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passion and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Notice our life in Christ means that we do not have to be slaves anymore to our sinful nature. But it does not guarantee us that we're gonna have freedom from our daily struggles. We have choices to make. Are we going to serve Christ or are we gonna serve ourselves? There was a list of those things that we often battle internally. Comparison, envy, jealousy, greed, pride. I recently was being coached by a beautiful woman from Third Church and I recognized, I heard myself say, oh, I just wish I could be good at something. One thing. You ever feel that way? And I realized that could be a noble thing to say, but the place it was coming from, my heart wasn't noble at all. I'd been comparing myself to other people's giftings and other things. I was walking in the flesh and not of the spirit. It's another thing we talk about quite often here on Sunday mornings. Are there things that you are involved in that perpetuate your sinful nature? Are there things that you're involved with that cause you to lean into envy, jealousy, anger, greed, pride? What are those things for you? They might be different for all of us. Social media, certain types of entertainment, unhealthy habits or rhythms. We walk in the Spirit by renewing our minds. Talked a lot that, about that this summer. Substituting old, wrongful ways of thinking with the Christ-like ways of thinking of the Bible. 
So we can choose to let the world and the flesh control us or stand in our victory in Jesus. We have another enemy, Satan. Reflecting on scripture, seeing it in my own life and walking with others, I notice Satan likes to hang out wherever he can distort the image of God or distort the image of who you are in God. So sometimes he's kind of lurking in the shadows of not enoughness. Hmm, you're not good enough. And you can switch out that good for whatever lie you hear. Hmm, really not smart enough. You're not funny enough. You don't have enough control or power in this situation. Often what he does in this, he's trying to lead us into isolation. He wants to silence your voice at the table. And friends, your voice at the table as a child of God is significant. Now, if he can't isolate us in the shadows, sometimes I've noticed he pushes you to feel like you're in the spotlight and you're all that. Oh, you're so perfect. You deserve better. You're so smart. You don't need to listen to that person. Go ahead. Do whatever feels good. You deserve it. Gossip, slander, steal, cheat. Open your mouth and shout it out. Or hit click on that social media post. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion with lo looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And we're reminded in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Goes through different pieces of armor. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So as image bearers, we battle. We battle to choose eternal things over things of this world. We battle so we walk according to the spirit and not the desires of the flesh. We renew our minds to gain God's perspective and attitude. And we stay alert and put on the armor of God to resist Satan. Sometimes we lose the battle, though. We are wounded when we fall short of these things. And this is where the healing process begins. As we step into the circle of love, we confess those places where we have fallen short. And the good news, I think, of all of this is that victory is not only possible, it should be considered normal as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Amen. So where am I battling for healing? That next slide. One of the major narratives of, this, of the Bible is that healing begins in the power of God's love. You were created to be loved by God, to love him and others in return, and that's where our healing begins. We don't have time this morning to read through, through all of 2 Corinthians 5, 
14 through 21. But there's one verse I want to highlight. You can write it down and go back if you want. It talks about coming, being reconciled to God, stepping into that circle of love, experiences healing. That verse says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Let me read that again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. I see several of us here who are friends with uh, Denny Brand. He was a spiritual friend to many of us, spiritual father to myself. And I can still hear him say this passage and share what he loved to share. No one is beyond God's grace. If you're still breathing, there's always a chance for a new beginning. A new beginning. A time for the children of God to be healed in the love of the Father. And friends, that's what we want you to hear this morning. God's heart is to heal you from those things that weigh you down. Please come back again and join us Ash Wednesday through the Lenten journey. We're going to talk about healing those things, turning back to the cross. There's a mystery in healing for sure. There are times when he comes and there is a touch from heaven and there is a miracle that happens. I know that many of us in this room have experienced something like that or know people who have experienced that. But that's not always how the healing happens. Sometimes it's straight through scripture, the word of God heals. Sometimes it's through prayer or sometimes through a a conversation with a friend who's looking into the depths of your soul and speaks truth and grace in those places. Sometimes it's an incredible experience of his presence or unexplainable joy. As Darren talked about last time, it might be when you encounter God in nature. You might be in a deer stand. But friends, we're going to continue to encourage one another to set up intentional times where we can be in those spaces so that God can bring healing to those chunks that have been taken from our belonging and worth, our dignity and purpose. Does this mean it's gonna be easy? Nope. Clean? Absolutely not. Life is messy. Tim Brand, a good friend to many of us, captures this so well. In this book, Standing on the Shoulders, a legacy story of a father, a son, and life's greatest gifts. So for those of you who aren't familiar or as familiar with the story, his father, Denny, was diagnosed with cancer, and this book chronicles their time together. I highly recommend it, just as a a side note. Uh, Jess, my husband and I, we spent some time with this during Advent when we were uh, slowing down a little bit. My eyes leaked a lot, might leak again here this morning, because I could just hear Denny telling some of his stories, and also knowing the way that he wrestled so well with temporary and eternal things. And because he was able to experience eternal things, he shares it through the words of Tim with all of us today. Wounds hurt and they're messy. This is an authentic version of that for Denny. Early in his diagnosis, mom and dad prayed earnestly for physical healing. 
They attended healing conferences, prayed faithfully together, and prayer chains were established by friends and family. Pleading with God for a miracle, they waited for God to answer their prayers. Unfortunately, the reports kept coming back worse. With no signs of physical healing, and dad started to get angry. He was angry at God, mom, and the whole notion of people praying for him. For a short season, his spirit was going in a bad direction, and the rest of his journey could have been very difficult and very bleak. But about a year into the cancer, Denny had a breakthrough, looking much different than we all thought it would be. As Denny describes it, he had an encounter with God. What happened, Tim asked. Well, you know it's been a wrestling match for me, Denny admitted. You know, at first when they diagnose you, you think, well, maybe they misdiagnosed. Maybe it isn't as bad as they think it is, and you're going to get through it. You've had a lot of good years. And then you start to slip, and you can just see that the disease is for real. So then you start putting your faith and trust in the medicine. Ah, it's going to be the cure-all. Then after about three or four months, you realize those things aren't going to give you what you need. Then he says he started to wrestle with God. I went through this study by Max Licato and studied the great men of the Bible. It talked about all these great people, and the one common denominator is they all wrestled with God to find the answers they wanted. And you start to ask the question, why? However, there are no answers on this side of heaven sometimes, and it boils down to trust and belief. But that isn't so easy either. Then he said he went to bed at night, he'd be fearful. During the day, bouts of great despair, sometimes just start crying, not even knowing why. Just the thought of what was ahead, leaving my family, not seeing my grandkids, or seeing them get married, graduating from high school. Whatever Christianity I had was not bringing me the peace and joy I was looking for. I knew there was an inconsistency between a man who has done all the Christian things in life and what I was feeling. I've gone to church, I've read the Bible, I've made mission trips to Haiti and done all the right things, but when I knew I was going to meet Jesus, Tim said he paused to hold back tears. Then he continued, was I really worthy? Was I good and am I good enough? because I knew my motivation behind some of these things I did, and it wasn't always pure. They were to bring praise to me and not to the Lord. So I had to wrestle with all of this. Tim asked, are you still wrestling? No. I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, Denny said, completely at peace. He explained it to Tim. One night, I went to bed in desperation and prayed, Lord, you have to show up tonight. I need an encounter with you. I need to feel what I say I believe. And that particular night, about 4.30 in the morning, Denny paused again. This is so strange for me to say. This just isn't me. But it did happen, Tim asked. Yep, absolutely, Denny answered. Waking up at 4.30 in the morning is normally not good. I'll just toss and turn and think and worry the rest of the night. But that night, there was a peaceful presence of the Lord in the room. I felt the Holy Spirit. And for two hours, I just lay there and I talked to the Lord. 
I wasn't hearing audible voices back, but the presence was absolutely there. And I knew in my spirit, God gave me this statement, and that is what I'm going to cling to for the rest of my time on earth. Denny, you do all you can do, and I'll do the rest. I knew right then he had me. It was just so peaceful. For the past months, I've had people in my ear give me a lot of well-intended suggestions. It didn't make me feel good when I was chasing their peace by going after what they wanted me to do. And that night, I got all that out and was able to talk about it with the Lord. The next morning, Bev and I were able to talk about it too. And from that time on, I can honestly say I have peace. Even on the days when I don't feel so good or don't have energy, I still have peace. And I'm so thankful for that because it makes this journey so much more bearable. It has also taught me that this is not about me. I haven't had the physical healing, which I am praying for every night. But I've had healing in every other way. In my soul, in my spirit, and in my relationships. And I'm so much better off than before I had cancer. Before, I didn't have peace. And now, I can honestly lay my head on my pillow at night and I can feel good about where I am. Don't misunderstand me. I still want to live and enjoy life. I want more life and I'm praying for physical healing. But if that doesn't come the way I want it to, I've had the healing. And for that, I'm thankful. Is there a part of your life where you desire healing, when you des- where you desire more wholeness and fullness of the Lord, more peace, more joy, more love, more light. Just like Denny, it's a battle, and the battle is real. But oh, the transformation that comes as you receive that healing. All right. I see a couple coaches over here. We almost need a timeout, right, to refresh. So we're going to go into round two here, inning two. So talking about known friend. As Katie said, we can't do this on our own. We need first and foremost to connect to Jesus. And I think it's interesting. We start, our outcome statement starts where our mission statement ends, in Jesus. Jesus is the image bearer, the scarred restorer, the known friend but we also need others in that journey with us. So last week I asked a question if you were with us, and I hope every time you're looking in the mirror for the rest of your life, you think about that. What is in my reflection? Jesus or the world? Today I have a similar question. If I can have that slide three, please. Do you know me? I think it's a question in all of our relationships. Before you post something about me, gossip about me, call me whatever, fill in the blank, do you know me? Do you know my heart? I think this is fundamentally causing some problems in society for us today. I talked a little bit about it last week. We need to be in deep relationships to have the room where we can speak truth and love. If we're not in those relationships, we need to be very careful what we post, what we say. So today we're going to talk about, in this part, 
Known friend, if I could have slide four. Known friend, how am I living bravely and vulnerably with others? As I mentioned last week, and Katie brought up as well, we have been for the last several years talking about being in the circle of love, part of the Trinity, God, Father, Holy Spirit. See, these deep connections carry over into Jesus' ministry as well in earth. We see them in the connection he had with his friends, with his followers, with his disciples. He was a known friend. Yes, we need times of silence. Some of us are more introverted than others. That's okay. We need time alone. But we were created. The Bible says we are created to be connected, to be in relationships with others. Our souls crave it. We need it, even if we don't think so. We were created for connection. So one thing I was wrestling with, okay, God, if we're created for connection with you and with others, why is it so hard? Well, the, as Katie mentioned, the enemy hates our relationships to God and others. We are in a spiritual battle every day. The Bible talks about that from beginning to end. Ephesians 6, we read about that, that spiritual battle, putting on the armor of God. See, the devil and his minions are out bringing fear, isolation, shame, anger, anxiety into our relationships, keeping us from deep connections. But luckily in Jesus, we have delegated authority to combat those spiritual forces. And together, life-giving freedom often starts as maintained through relationships, deep connections with a small group of trusted friends or family members. See, being a known friend is simple, it's a simple idea, but it takes a lot, doesn't it? It takes courage and vulnerability. Let's be honest, there are challenges to being real with people. Fear and shame of maybe our past, maybe anxiety of who we are, what our, what our hobbies are, what those things. I'll share one in a second. We'll see how you judge me. It takes us being vulnerable. So how many here... Raise your hand, and I'm, I'm counting on you in the, in the sanctuary too, have been hurt by somebody else. Raise your hand. Okay, good. If you're not raising your hand right now, you're liars. So it's part of the human condition. We hurt others and others hurt us. We're broken people on a journey. So it takes us being brave and vulnerable to deeply connect to one another. And that, that doesn't come easy for most of us because of our experiences. But it is key to unlock the freedom that we have in Jesus, trusting him. It takes extending grace, love, and truth. Showing empathy and kindness, extending forgiveness, asking for forgiveness. I had to do that again this week. So I'm going to give you an image. We'll see if it works out. So many of you know I have a lot of hobbies, some crazy hobbies. One of them happens to be Legos. Yes, I'm an adult with a Lego room. So my home office at home has a ton of Legos in it. But as I was sitting there preparing a little bit for this week, I thought about, hmm, I think this is an interesting example. You can tell me if it worked or didn't. So if I can have slide five. So I've got in my hand a Lego piece. And as I was look, looking at these, each of these are like us, unique, different. They can stand on their own. They got some smooth edges, some sharp sides, a little rough around the edges sometimes. But like Legos, we as humans were not created to be alone. We all have unique gifts and callings. 
Calling is to be in relationship with each other. And if we are in those relationships with each other, we can build something even stronger together if I can have the next slide. And yes, I am a Star Wars fan. If we know our place, our purpose, our gifting, working and being in relationship with others, we can be so much more, allowing us to say yes to the question, do you know me? It's an amazing space. We can go to a blank slide. There are many stories that illustrate this throughout the Bible. I won't unpack all of these, but there's Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. Jonathan gives up the right to his throne to David, goes against his father who's trying to kill David. There's Saul, or as we learn, Paul, right? Saul is killing Christians, then gets converted, but he has friends, Ananias and Barnabas, who stand by him and say, no, wait a second, he's not killing us anymore. He's actually for us. And then goes on to write a big chunk of the New Testament. They stood before him. They spoke words into him. They stayed with him when other people didn't think he was changed. And of course, Jesus, his friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, he wept at his death. He died for us. Jesus died for us. He's our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus, moment by moment, day by day. But I want to camp on, if you can go to the scripture, I think slide seven. I want to camp on today, Luke 5, 17 through 26, if you have your Bibles. I love this friend story. There is so much in this passage uh, to unpack. We will just scratch the surface. But hear these words. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. I love this next verse. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now it goes on to say the Pharisees were upset and Jesus told him to get up and walk and take his mat. But I love this story. There is so much here. I have a lot of questions when I read this story. As I picture it, this is an amazing story of friendship. These guys come up, they're, they're rolling up with their friend on this mat. How long had they traveled? Well, it's probably miles. At that day and age, there was no walk-in clinics, MRIs. But they'd heard about this Jesus. And they knew their friend and knew what he needed. And they were going to get there. They were probably hot and sweaty when they got there. And they saw this huge crowd. And they're like, oh my goodness, how are we going to get in? We cannot do this. Well, then plan B was derived. Let's go through someone else's house. Because that's really the reality. If you look at the architecture of the day and, and pictures we have, those houses are stuck together. So they broke into somebody else's house to go through that roof. Because they were not saying no to their friend. They knew what their friend needed. They knew they needed Jesus. Are you doing that for your friends that don't know Jesus? Are you going to invite them here? Are you going to talk to them about Jesus? I hope you do. See, breaking and entering, destruction of property, laws were broken here. 
Absolutely were. But Jesus sees their faith and he heals and he forgives. That is amazing to me. Jesus saw their faith. He knew the faith of all of those friends. What it showed me as I was wrestling is we need to be around good friends. We need to have good friends in our life. We need to piggyback on in times of our spiritual and physical weakness. Who we hang around matters. As I talked about last week, it's not only what you listen to, what you watch, but who you hang around with will shape who you are, your actions, your thoughts, and where your heart is being transformed. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus shows us we need to be with people who don't know Jesus. We need to push into hard places. Meet them where they are at in love. But we need to have friends who are rooted in Jesus so they can encourage, renew, speak truth into our lives. So I ask you this, if I can have that slide eight. Do you have known friends or post-it note friends? See, post-it note friends have a mild attachment. When something hard comes, they restick themselves to somebody else. I hope you have known friends, someone who is looking out for you, sacrificing for you, supporting you, giving you good advice, not just something you want to hear, speaking truth, being loyal, forgiving, loves unconditionally. That's a known friend. And I think these group, this group of four or five, we're not sure how many in that story, they were all known friends to each other. So if you were with us last uh, spring, we took this survey and uh, if I can have the next slide, slide nine, we had six questions around this that we just took a baseline for us that in a couple years, two or three years, we'll take another survey like this and just see if all the things we're doing is this, are we becoming more and more like we want to? And you'll see red, not doing so well, green, doing okay, and a lot of black that just says, eh, right, we're doing, we're okay. So as we push into these, these questions, the first was, I don't try to create the impression that I'm doing better than I really am. That's being vulnerable. Take down that Dutch front. Be vulnerable with others. We need to do that. The next, I can name a recent situa situation where I offered an apology to someone or sought a reconciliation, someone I hurt. Are you reflecting each day? Going and ask for forgiveness? I had to do it again, like I mentioned, this week. After preaching three times last Sunday and some things going on in our personal life, I, 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 I made some missteps with my words. I had to, I had to act and, and ask for reconciliation. Next one, I listen to others I disagree with in a way that's marked by empathy and invites genuine understanding. Whew. I pushed into that a little bit last week as image bearers. We were all created in, in God's image. Are we seeing everybody else that way, even those we disagree with? That doesn't mean allowing sinful, mean-spirited, harmful behavior. We have to stop that. But it does mean having good debates on things like the border, library, president. And no matter how passionate you are on either side, can you listen well, politely, and sometimes agree to disagree and then go out to lunch and enjoy each other's company as fellow believers? The next, I regularly share with a small group specifics on what I'm learning as we seek to follow Jesus. We're going to have more on small groups. You know, Jenny did a great job. I saw her back here several years ago pushing into this. We're going to build on that and continue that journey. We got a team working on that, how we take the next steps. 
More to come on that, hopefully this fall. The next question, I'm experiencing consistent two-way authenticity and accountability with a few trusted friends. You've heard this before. Who are your 2 a.m. friends that you know will come no matter what? I didn't have those growing up through high school. Maybe I can point to one or two in, high, in, in college, but I am so lucky to have a few good men that are surrounded that I know. A few weeks ago, I had a situation come up and I, I called someone up and they dropped what they were doing for the night and met me and we spent about three hours together. He didn't just listen. He asked me hard questions. He made me realize I was part of the problem and some things I had to do different in that situation and some things that I needed to push into with the other person. But I'm so thankful for that. And lastly, I consistently bless others closest to me by encouraging them. We need to be a people of blessing. Here's the thing. With all of this, the stats are in. If you look at this latest statistics, the alpha generation and Gen Z, so our youngest to our college-age kids, thereabouts, 70% of them, 70%, of all genders, races, family backgrounds, economic levels are dealing with anxiety and depression. I know in talking to counselors in this town, roughly 60% of the kids in school are going to see counselors. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with counseling. I love that. I go to counseling. It's good. But they're dealing with this. And even me as a Gen X, Gen Yer, we're dealing with that 50% of the time. The boomers, 30%. That's why sometimes they don't understand It's not a criticism, but we're dealing with this. And I I keep asking why. And I go back to something Pastor Kevin said when he kicked off our series, this disembodied life. Now, we are living for ourselves. We're living inside our devices. And for those of you that know me, many of you know me well, I am a techie. I counted up this morning just to get it in my head. I have over 50 pieces of equipment in my house that could connect to the internet, including my washer and dryer. Why, I do not know. So I am a techie. I love technology, but you have to have the right things in place. We can't be spending all of our life there. We need to be in relationships. As I've talked when I worked at Pella Corporation and here at church, and I don't mean to diminish anyone, but there's a lot of times people come, well, it's like, well, I've I've emailed them a couple times over the last week. And I'm like, have you went to see them? They're, They're literally down the hall. We need to be in relationship. We need to go and talk with others. As a church, we need to build relationships. This needs to be a place where people are seen, known, and loved. We need to be faithful friends, be that refuge. We need to pray for others that are our known friends. We need them to challenge us, pray for us, know when to speak truth and love to us. Listen, love, stand behind us. And I wonder, what could our church look like if all of us had three, six maybe 12 max from our example in the Bible of known friends. How would that change our community? Instead of networked with three, four, 500 friends, they come into your funeral. They come into the hospital. Maybe some, again, don't hear what I'm not saying. We have people that have moved away. We want to stay in contact with family members. Those are good things. But do you have known friends in person that you can trust? that will be there for you no matter what. So two action steps. Perhaps today a person around you in your, in your homes, maybe it's in your neighborhood, maybe it's your workplace, maybe it's at school, 
Somebody needs to have a known friend. Someone that can say yes to, do you know me? Will you be that friend? Will you be that friend to somebody new this week?